All right. Um, we hadn't gotten through chapter 19, had we? No, I think we're right around like 36. Yeah, and I don't think we... Yeah, I don't think we uh, quite covered all of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, since we already read it, they broke the legs of Jesus, or they didn't break the legs of Jesus because he was already dead. Mm-hmm. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side, I'm in verse 34, with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this is testified so that you also may believe his testimony is true. And he knows that he tells the truth. We're in John 19. Okay, so we're in John 19:34. Instead of breaking his legs, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe his testimony is true. And he knows that he tells the truth. Now, I read an article written by two medical physicians who maintained that the scourging, the nails in his hands and feet, the suffocation of crucifixion, uh, all conspired, you might say, to uh, bring about this strange event of the water and the blood Hmm. coming out. I'm not convinced because presumably other prisoners uh, had been scourged before being crucified. Is there any possible medical explanation for that besides all those things? I, I wouldn't know yet. So. You wouldn't know yet. Come back to me in four years. Yeah, so. <laughs> I, one of the things I hope you learn in medical school yeah. so you can tell us. <laughs> But I, I definitely see the symbolism in there, though. Mm-hmm. The blood and water, since those yeah. are like the, the big themes in this, right. in this book. So right. It's quite fitting. In fact, um, I think I drew you to those themes in First John, verse five, chapter five, verse six. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one that testifies, for the Spirit is the truth. There are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. What on earth is he alluding to? Couldn't sleep one night. And I started meditating on the Gospel of John. And it had dawned on me that this verse in First John 5 actually was the theme or were the themes that John picked for his gospel. Because if you look at how his gospel is laid out in the first chapter, you have water, uh, Jesus' baptism, uh, and the Spirit. John doesn't record this for some reason. I don't know why he leaves it out of his gospel, but the Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. Uh, in chapter 2, you have uh, water being turned to wine, which always represents blood in the New Testament. Uh, and then uh, chapter 3, you have an allusion to Jesus' death on the cross. I mean, Jesus talks about, I if I be lifted up. Uh, and uh, you have being born of water. So you have the an, an indirect reference to blood, possibly, and then water. Chapter 4, water and the spirit. Mm-hmm. Those who worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Uh, chapter 5, water, again. Uh, the pool of Bethesda and the healing there. Chapter 6 is a kind of peak chapter in, this, in these themes. Because chapter 6... Jesus says, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no life in you. In fact, uh, he's more graphic than that. (coughs) Unless you gnaw on my flesh and drink my blood. Mm. That's what you call it. Katastheo is to gnaw, to really munch on (laughs) uh, my flesh. (laughs) And, And drink my blood. And why he didn't do... 
uh, gulp down my blood. I don't know. But uh, he, he has a, a tamer verb there. And, and Jesus goes on to explain, my words, pro- I mean, my flesh profits nothing. It, my words that I speak to you, they are spirit. They are, no, they are spirit and they are life. And from then on, John, the Gospel of John shifts into different metaphors. Not so much on water and the blood. So uh, chapter 7, a good way to summarize what we're doing in the book of John. Chapter 7. So Jesus in the festival, and this is in the last day of the festival, verse 37, Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink, as the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he transfers, makes a transfer from I am the water of life to you will become full of living waters if you drink of me. Hmm. So they go home and discuss how to put him to death. In that same chapter. And that's allusion again to the blood. And then chapter 8, this long dialogue with the Pharisees. Jesus says in that chapter, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And that turns them on their ear. We be sons of Abraham, and we're not slaves to anyone. What do you mean we'll be free? We're free already. You know? (laughs) Imagine telling someone they're going to be free and they didn't take offense. You know, it's, it's just incredible. But notice the emphasis Jesus has now in this chapter on the truth. There's no water. There's no blood in this chapter. The focus is on the truth. And I think that should tell us something. He talks about Satan being the father of, of lies and being a liar. Uh, the truth is not in him. And they end with wanting to pick up stones and stone him. So again, allusion to bloodshed. The next story highlights seeing and blindness. No more water. What happened? The next chapter is the Good Shepherd. And you do have allusion to uh, bloodshed because the the thief comes in only to steal, kill, and destroy. Mm-hmm. But I've come that they might have life. So truth and life are no longer metaphors. They're realities that lie behind the metaphors. And then a raising of Lazarus. I, I, I suppose you could think about bloodshed, but Lazarus didn't really shed any blood. He simply died of illness. And then the, the triumph entry. Now we come to water again. Foot washing, 13. And then 14, 15, and 16 center on Jesus' revelation of the Father, the truth, the revealing of the witness of the truth, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. So now now we focus on, on the Spirit more than any other chapter. And the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He comes to reveal the truth. So I maintain that what John is trying to do is through the symbolism of the sacrificial system, which involved both water and blood, and putting in the Holy Spirit, he's trying to say all of this represents the truth. The truth about Jesus, about his Father, most specifically about what he came to reveal by his death. Mm-hmm. Uh, so back to 19 did you find anything in looking through this chapter that would give us an understanding of what truth Jesus died to reveal well, that's be the truth of the kingdom right because for so long they thought of the kingdom as the kingdom of power and um, in terms of aggregating power and centralizing power and and then Jesus died for the exact opposite. Not okay. to, well, not, 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 not just, not to have power, but to rather, um... No, he lays down all power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, kings typically go out and slaughter, don't they? That's the most power-centric 
symbol of kingship is going out and conquering and slaughtering. But Jesus doesn't slaughter. Mm -hmm. He gets slaughtered. Mm -hmm. So the blood does not represent the blood Jesus is going to shed on other people. It represents the blood they shed when they kill him. Anything else? You know, I go back to John 18 where, where um, Pilate asks him what is truth. And like, and Jesus doesn't answer him, but it's like, you know, wait a few hours and you're going to see it. You know, uh-huh. like, you know, you know like, like you're going to see it right in front of your eyes. You know, that is truth. You know, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, it's just, it's just amazing. Like, that's one of the, the, the amazing questions of, of Scripture right there. Yeah. Standing right in front of him and he couldn't see it. Like us, a lot of times. Yeah. Just going back for the blood sweating, he has a disease they call uh, hematidrosis. Yes, and the explanation is occurring bleeding disorders. Uh, severe occurred. depression. Yes, yeah, severe depression. From he did that. You know, he had that depression. Not depression, but uh, stress. Well, well, he stress. did. He did have. Levels he did have. Extremely he was stressed. extremely depressed because he didn't think he was going to see his father again. Yeah. Um, severe. So, I had a student with that condition. Wow. One time. Wow. And he took a class where we were dealing with the atonement, and he asked to do his paper on it in relation to Jesus' death. It was very, very revealing. Wow. So, but going back to the water and the blood coming out of his side, is it possible that Jesus? that this depicts, and this has been the traditional way it's been viewed, but I don't know if we have any medical evidence to support it. But is it possible that Jesus died of a broken heart? I've heard that before. Because mm-hmm. he died prematurely for somebody he did. On, on, a on, a, on the cross. Yeah, they wanted him to suffer for days. This is what yeah. That's yeah. why they broke the legs. That's why they broke the legs of the prisoners. Right, right. I mean, the the thief and who else on the cross, the two criminals, uh, so that they would die early. We're in John 19. We'll go back to John 17 as soon as we can get through this section. What we're trying to establish is the great metaphors that John uses in his gospel are the water, the blood, and the spirit. And uh, how Jesus' death, and, and I've, I've developed an understanding from the Gospel of John that the blood represents the truth and the life, of course. Mm-hmm. The truth is the life. Mm-hmm. So, if that's the truth, what is the truth we see at the foot of the cross? And, and as Christian pointed out that Jesus' death was like the the total opposite of what they expected a king to do. And and it's, it's exactly true. The king usually goes out and sheds blood, kills people, conquers nations, especially in the ancient world. <clears throat> Jesus sheds his own blood. He, he They kill him. He doesn't kill them. Uh, so it's a, it's a completely reversal of kingship. And then John mentions, uh, when, John, when Pilate asks, what is truth? Jesus doesn't answer him. He just like, wait and see. You'll see it right in front of you that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. Is there anything else? Any other truths from the foot of the cross? Well, if Jesus died, we just established that Jesus died of a broken heart and that the water and the blood coming out of his side kind of correlates with the blood he shed through his forehead, which comes from hematidrosis, mental agony. I'm going to go ahead, or back, back to verse 30. When Jesus received the wine, which represents his blood, he said, it is finished. We talked about the significance of those words. It is finished. When else did God say, it is finished? Creation, end of creation week. Now the hosts of them were finished. 
And and we looked at two places. Uh, this is when just Shalina and Christian and I were here. Uh, we looked at two places in Revelation where Jesus, where a voice from heaven says it is finished. What is finished? Accomplished. The the, the, the salvation is is finished. It's accomplished. But is there something specifically finished? That would tie in with the blood, with the broken heart. And I think in the, in the shadow of the creation story stands the story of the fall, mm-hmm. where the need for Jesus' death mm-hmm. is prophesied, where Jesus' death is prophesied, and where the need for Jesus' death begins. And what lie did the serpent convince us of? You will not surely die. Now that's a pretty serious charge. Mm-hmm. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's very clear that he's negating God's words to Adam in chapter 2. When God says, uh, you shall not eat of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. From the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. He doesn't say, I will execute you. Mm-hmm. He simply says, you will die. Uh, the serpent comes along and says, not dying, you shall die. And God says, dying, you shall die, which is an emphasis, a uh, form of emphasis. And the serpent comes along and says, not dying, you shall die. If sin doesn't co- lead to death, then what? You think of all the myriads of lies that have come out of that. Reincarnation. Immortal soul. Ever-burning hell. God's going to torture you as long as you deserve. Mm-hmm. Which is, I believe is a misreading of Ellen White. God's going to kill you. And you think of the havoc Satan has gotten us has gotten us in because of believing that lie. Because how can we have trust in God if he's hiding a sword behind his back and saying, love me or I'll kill you. I can't be intimate with a person like that. Well, the thing that's sad is, you know, I, th- I think this is partly at the root, at root of this lukewarm Christianity because there's a number of Christians that are at stage one and stage two of Goldberg. Some mm-hmm. that are there just to avoid punishment and some that are there to seek a reward. And you know what? There's some people that I've known that like, hey, I'm going to drink my beer, but if somebody calls me and they need some help, I'm going to go help them. You know what I mean? Like, because, you know, if, if, if I die, you know, if, if I'm going to hell, hell, I'm going to be, be nice to the people around me anyway. I've known people like that that would call, would, would, that we'd call cold, that in some ways have a deeper sense of morality and service to others than those of us that are just trying to, you know, get a fire insurance policy. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm... I, I, I'm totally with you on that. I feel that that our view of atonement as you know appeasing the wrath of a father or satisfying his justice and his justice is whacking us uh, with retribution. Uh, I feel that that has given us this this fire insurance. Yeah, it's yeah. given us this ticket to go to heaven. Uh, and that's all we care about. We don't care about a relationship with God. Right. Or with others. Well, like, think about that, though. You know, the, the folks that you help every week, some of them would lay down their lives for their friends, right? That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, but we see them as messed up, and in some ways they've got it more together than some of us do. You know, which is I mean, why in terms Jesus, of their heart. Which is why Jesus said that the scribes and Pharisees will go to heaven I mean, that's not the scribes and Pharisees. The, the, the sinners will go to heaven before the scribes and Pharisees. Right, right. Doug. And, you know, just really hit me this week. There was, uh, you know, a Senate hearing and uh, confirmation, and Bernie Sanders just viciously attacking the new appointment guy that was Christian. He says, if you're a Christian, you can't serve because you're, you don't, are they really can everyone else condemned? I'm Jewish. Am I condemned? Or Muslims? Are they condemned? And he says, No. He was trying to explain how Christianity. But if really hit me how we don't we sit as Christians and talk and assume atonement and assume Jesus is the only way. That is a radical position in our culture. 
and it sounds extremely prejudiced and exclusive, and and uh, they're calling for the evangelicals calling for an apology. <laughs> for him. But it was just really unusual, even as a Jew. Uh, but evidently, his view of does he not have to believe in in God? Uh, if you don't believe in God, you're not can you know condemn. But I thought that was a very it just really hit me that what we talk about and what we believe is not the norm. It, it's a shame that it's like that, but Christians, we've done we've done that to ourselves. And that's even, I prefer to call myself a follower of Jesus than to call myself a Christian because of the negative association, you know, with, with that term Christianity for, you know, thousands of years because, you know, we're, we're seen as self-serving or, or some kind of exclusivity where the, we're the only ones, you know, well, we're repeating, to me, the story of the Jews' rejection of Jesus, which is one of the big features of John's gospel, is how the Jews reject Jesus and crucify him. To me, that is our story. They had no concept of a, a dying, you know, you have the sacrificial system, but it had totally lost that concept of the, the, sacri- the Messiah. Was no, because sacri- if... Let's let's uh, let's go to the maybe the bedrock of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. If if you if you're in it for yourself, mm-hmm. which a power based model constantly feeds into, or or is the outgrowth of, I'm not sure which leads to which. Um, they work in tandem together. If if you have that, then uh, Jesus' death, the sacrificial lamb was appeasement. Mm-hmm. And appeasement is a power word. It means you can manipulate and control the person you appease. Like an indulgence or so, some sort. Yeah. yeah. I can placate his wrath. That's all it needs. Because the only thing, what that suggests is the only thing wrong with sin is that it angers God. It isn't inherently wrong. It isn't inherently evil. It doesn't inherently lead to anything that uh, is destructive. And it isn't inherently self-centered. So we can, we can appease God's wrath, uh, and that's the only thing that needs to happen. There doesn't need to be a change in me. There doesn't need to be any love awakened in me. There doesn't need to be a relationship with this God. All I need to do is appease his wrath, and then, hallelujah, I can go to, to heaven. And, and it doesn't dawn on us, we're going to be spending eternity with the same God that you've, his wrath you've appeased. What then? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! You know that's a very profound what you're what you're saying because I get in arguments sometimes with with fellow Adventists even about the the whole nature of Babylon and they want to say it's a church or whatever like that. It's selfishness, that self centered lifestyle. And and we're and I've been a Babylonian at times in my life, sometimes almost unwittingly. You know, like I'm thinking pursuing myself rather than pursuing God. But it's selfishness that's at the core of Babylon, not like the name of a church. You know, and you know, so because there's Babylonians right in our church. Forgive me for saying that, but um, I taught a class. <laughs> Carlos is smiling and nodding his head. He was in the class. I taught a class for the first time called Babylon in the Bible. Um, this is like the fruit of not just my doctoral program, which was in, uh, ancient Near Eastern and biblical law, which mostly was Mesopotamian and mm-hmm. biblical law. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Sumero Babylonian religions, and then one other area. It's the fruit of, I would say, 30, as of this year, 30 years mm. of study and research. It has, I have walked, I feel like I have spent all my time walking a cigarette, you know, going round <laughs> and, and round and round, trying to get the, the ascertain what's in this. Yeah, yeah. You know, what is Babylon? And I remember the day. And forgive me, John, this is going to kind of step on your turf. Yeah. Uh, the day I tried to find the bottom line, and it was the shift that we made when we changed from gift-giving, uh-huh. which originally was to be giving to someone and not expecting any return. Yeah, kindness. Kindness. And in Asian cultures to this day, you give a gift, and you expect a gift of equal weight and value, or maybe better, in return. That's where it started. 
is in this gift giving with obligation. Mm. And then it went to trade. I'll trade your thing for my thing. And then it went to, well, I think we should get, we call this inflation. My father gave you a donkey for three sheep, but I'm going to make it four sheep. You have to give me four sheep for my donkey. So uh, (laughs) we call that inflation. And then we began to find that, you know, you can develop currency as a rate of exchange. And, and so we de- developed this whole model, mm-hmm. uh, and it became, everything became centered around protection of my stuff, mm-hmm. protection of my property. And we forgot gift-giving, except uh, as a means of manipulation and appeasement. Mm-hmm. It became, that became the core value. And substitution, uh, all, all of that, is, is extremely Babylonian. Uh, mm-hmm. The Babylonians have four major terms for substitute, and the Hebrew has none. Mm. There's not a single noun for substitute in Hebrew. There's a construction that means loosely substitution, right? like in, to give in place of. But it, 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 the Bible actually, I can, I can show you places where the Bible downplays substitution. And it's not that I'm against believing in Jesus' substitutionary death, but that has to be handled carefully. Otherwise, we have a Babylonian model. And so, uh, as, I, as I took our students through the texts, they had to read the actual Babylonian texts, which they weren't expecting. When they came to class, they thought they were just going to study the Babylon and the Bible. <laughs> so they were quite shocked when they had to read these Babylonian texts and compare them with biblical texts. And I didn't tell them what they were supposed to find. Mm-hmm. I just handed the text and said, do compare and contrast. You know, try to find the biblical, unique picture uh, in here of God. And they came to class and went, you know, this is Babylon. is what we've been taught all our lives. It was really shocking to them. Mm-hmm. And um, at the very end... They were like, why doesn't the church teach this? Why is this the first time we've ever heard this? It was, it was very eye-opening. And what I have come to the conclusion is that the evangelical community is teaching Babylonian gospel. It is right out of Babylonian religion. And it's time for that to change. It's time for us to revisit the Bible and really come to grips with what the gospel is. So that's why I'm asking these questions, because for me, that lie we have all imbibed in, that God is going to kill us if we don't love him. What kind of intimacy and love can you have Mm -hmm. with such a God? And what kind of love can you give such a God if you know that if you don't love him, he's going to kill you? I mean, on a psychological level, I, I can't, I can't um, fathom that. Well, you know, the, this whole thing kind of ties into this whole prosperity gospel. And, and so much of what I worry about is like some of us have, you know, in the way we operate our daily lives, this win-lose, like I win, you lose, and we negotiate that way, and so forth, as opposed to win-win, and so forth. And we think about, like, when we think about Jesus, it's like, hey, I'm willing to lose so that you can win. I, How many of us think like that? And you know, that's amazing. But like this prosperity gospel, it's all predicated upon, you know, the prayer of Jabez and this kind of stuff, taken out of context. It, 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 it <laughs> is, is, blown, is blown, like totally it's all about it's all about me winning and 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 you know God blessing me as opposed to like how I can be a blessing to others and how I you know and, and how I can make their lives better. It's just um, incredibly selfish, and um, you know I tell the kids in, in our business society class and so for like as a business person to be sustained, not just to be a good Christian, but to be have a sustainable enterprise. You got to think win-win. Like every stakeholder in your network mm-hmm. has to win, you know, and so forth. Not just them yourself, because sooner or later it's going to come back to bite you, because you don't care enough about them and their interests, you know, and, and, and showing compassion for their needs. You're just thinking of yourself, 
and of course, you, you, at, that's at multiple levels. It's very complex, actually, but but you have to be very um, intentional about that. I was uh, teaching intro to Christian um, in Christian ethics and society years ago, and I unpacked the Babylonian model of economics, kingship, and law. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I, I gave had all kinds of sub levels of that and, and how that had mapped it out. And a very sports minded student who loved to play games yeah. raised his hand and he said, If this is true, then there's no con- competition in God's kingdom. And he was very t- troubled by that. Right, right, right. Uh, and I said, I said, I'm not, I'm not here to tell you. The competition is wrong, but here's the evidence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, it, it, um, it's a totally upside-down way yeah. of looking at things. Yeah. And, and you're right. The evangelical world and the Roman Catholic world are so heavily into the opposite, the same kind of kingdom the Pharisees wanted, the same kind of kingdom the Jews wanted, that the simplicity and humility of Jesus is totally lost. Yeah. So, so back to this um, blood coming out, the water, the mm. truth, the truth coming out. What verse are we in 19? Uh, 34. Thank you. Jesus died. Who or what killed Jesus? The weight of all our sin. I, I, I don't know. That's that's why they say. I want to think like I have some account. Well, I'm, I'm Paul, one of the reasons why Paul he died. says it. Yeah. Paul says he was made to be sin. Uh-huh. He knew no sin that mm-hmm. we might become the righteousness of God. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, when Jesus entered Gethsemane, he says, "My soul is exceedingly troubled, even unto death." And we don't take that seriously. We glide right over it. But that is, that is Jesus saying his condition. He later has this blood sweat in his pores that is indication of extreme mental anguish. If, if as we talk about the, the core, the, the deep intimacy of, you know, of God's kingdom and principles. Think of the relationship he has with his father. Mm-hmm. And to feel and experience that separation would kill you. It would kill him faster than it would kill us. Mm-hmm. Because we like being separated from God. Yeah, we know it's separated from God. It's <laughs> we, <pretty> <laughs> uh, so, so, yes, Jesus feels that extreme. Um, and that's why when the wicked stand outside the New Jerusalem and God reaches out to embrace them one last time they experience his love his love is torture they long to be separated from him and yet at the same time they're awakened something has to awaken in their minds this is what we lost this is what we could have had and the, they die of mental anguish. That's why Jesus, when he talks in Matthew, over and over again, uh, they cast him into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That emotional agony is hell. It is the lake of fire, I believe. I believe the lake of fire is symbolic. Because uh, if you want a good article to read, Signs of the Times, April 14, 1898. She describes the fire that consumes as mental agony. And she likens it to the death of Christ. She says basically everybody, everybody has to experience the mental agony. Jesus experienced the mental agony on the cross and it led to his death. The righteous experience the mental agony as they come to repentance. And the wicked experience the mental agony at the end. And it brings out rebellion. Hmm. You know, on a domestic level, Gene, it's always amazing me when I see that with a client. If there's been a major abuse or abandonment, the worst torture is touch, love, and affection, intimacy. 
Mm-hmm. It just drives them crazy. They'll do anything to avoid it or mm-hmm. block it or suppress it or get away from I, it. I think I've told the story here before uh, of a student. I was just beginning to make my transition theologically from theory to experience in terms of teaching. And I had gone over the fall in a very story, experiential, real manner. And I had a student in the class who I knew had had a significant family member walk out of his life and never make contact with him again, virtually. This happened when he was a child. And after class, he met me in my office. He said, you know, I felt like you were talking about me today. He says, my girlfriend and I have been having trouble. And we began talking. And I could see him reaching out tentatively to the love of God. That he, he felt the need of, of that. And I begged him to allow God to love him, to, to connect to God. And he says, I know I should, but I can't. And we went through that several rounds, and he kept saying, no, I can't. And I remember my helplessness as he walked out of the room. The next thing I knew, he had transferred out of PUC and gone to a community that was extremely rigid, very structured. And, and it broke my heart. It just absolutely broke my heart. Yeah, don't, Gene, don't you believe that to, the, to, the, to know God or to experience his oneness or his it, it's a gift it isn't something you have good genes you can do it or we have people that make it easier if you have good families don't you love and tenderness and connection but as you struggle with this stuff are we in our own experience it is just it's like he showed up and gave you that mm-hmm. that and we just love him and it isn't something you've worked on or in Love cannot be love cannot be commanded. It cannot be won by force or authority. <laughs> Only by love is love awakened. It is really not taught. No, it's not taught. I could no more make this student I could no more teach him than I can only plead with him to 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 reach out for it, to ask for it. You have to model it. It's 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 something that almost you can't communicate fully. There, there's, I've, I've heard it so many times from clients when I'm, I'm pushing, you're trying, you know, you're never going to get any healing until you get through this stuff. And so often, if, you know, as you're getting close, and they recognize what that, what that's, what's on that other side. So I'll, I'll start crying, and I'll never stop. And I'll just say, well, you know, crying's good. Uh, connecting with your... <laughs> Your heart is good. And uh, I haven't had too many clients die from crying. It's actually very therapeutic. <laughs> you know. But it, it always shocks me when there's just that feeling of total loss of control when you built your life on defense mechanisms and structure and control. It's, it's very true. We, you know, Finn passed away last spring. I mean, it's been almost 14 months, over 14 months now. Mm. And there were six kids in that car. The one kid, God bless him, that, that, that was driving, who didn't come back. Of course, Fenda passed away, and um, you know, um, you have five other kids, excuse me, and they all had different reactions mm-hmm. to the accident. And um, some of uh, some of them you knew right away that they'd been through it. There was a couple kids. It was winter quarter this year before I knew they were even in that car. Mm-hmm. And and part of it was because they hadn't allowed themselves to grieve. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they very, just walked away and and, yeah. and t- just said we'll walk we'll walk on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and I, I had a, had a couple in my office because two of them work in our department, and finally got them to open up enough about uh, not to have a good cry. You know, but they need to see somebody like you, Doug. I mean, they really, there's like they, there's a lot of guilt. Why did I get to live and my friend died? You know, mm-hmm. um, it's tragic. So this is, to me, Jesus' vicarious substitutionary death is real language, not 
economic terminology, not metaphoric and not mm-hmm. abstract. And what has happening is Jesus experienced mm-hmm. the whole gamut of sin mm-hmm. and totally mm-hmm. broke that lie that you won't surely die. Mm-hmm. Totally broke the, any other lies that God is going to kill you. God didn't kill Jesus. Sin did. Sin is what separated him from his father. Um, When I think of that, I think that that alone should take away all of these false mechanisms of appeasement and satisfaction and all the things that we try, that we think God has to receive in order to forgive us. And we can be intimate. the, The barriers are down. At the cross, mm-hmm. we can be intimate. You know, it's such a beautiful story. I probably should care more whether I go to heaven or not. I read, and I do want to go, but I'm telling you, this guy right here, I wouldn't stop following him even if there was no heaven, because I know what my life has been like when I walk, when I haven't had him a and, part and of it. Why? And I know what it's like with it, and I take him, and and when my life ends, that's it. With Jesus in my life, as opposed as opposed to a life without Jesus. And 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 for me, why would I want? Why would I want to be the opposite of who Jesus is? Mm-hmm. I mean, going to John seventeen. I think this is an awesome point at which we can finish that chapter. Good verse we started. Uh, we got as far as. Uh, Sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth, didn't we? Does anybody remember? <laughs> it's been a few weeks. Yeah, I believe so. It's verse 17. Verse 17, okay. Yeah. Um, we, we could start up a little bit higher. Uh, verse 13, now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the word, world has hated them because they do not belong to the world. Just as I do not belong to the world. So he's talking about the joy of unity, the joy of that oneness in Christ. There is nothing like fellowship with people whose only goal is to talk about the wonderful character of God, the kind of person he is. Mm-hmm. There is nothing like it. Uh, and the fellowship is is yeah, just so it's rich and deep and and intimate and mm-hmm. and it's just and you feel his presence and um, so that's the joy and then of course we live in this world and the world hates us because they do not belong because we don't belong to the world and you find that out very quickly with kind of like Doug finds out with his clients when you start talking about the love of God and people start going <laughs> and I've had that happen many times but that that's why it is so so healing and my theory of emotional healing is that intimacy heals all mm-hmm. And the deepest intimacy is spiritual intimacy, deeper than family, friend, or sexual intimacy. And it, it's so hard to even describe it or to... That's why, to me, you have to experience it. Mm-hmm. But when when they hit that level, and I remember one of your theology students, I still get stuff weekly from him. He, he should never be a pastor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's out doing wonderful stuff. Mm-hmm. Just been healed on these multiple levels. Had so much disadvantage and brokenness, but he found him. He found him. Mm-hmm. I remember when he came back one summer, and it was a long journey I'd been through. And it <clears throat> came back. He said, "I found it. I found it." Can you? And he was telling me what the, what he experienced, and he didn't encounter God. He didn't encounter him on that mm-hmm. deep level. All he wanted to do was write music. Mm-hmm. It was just so powerful. He just wrote these, you know. I don't know, 50, 60 scripture songs and and uh, to see the healing over the years that have happened and to, it's fun to read his Facebook stuff. And mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> I, I see his Facebook stuff now and then. Yeah.
I always, always hit like. <laughs> I, I would do more if I had time. Um, but I have so many students from the past. <laughs> it's hard to get anything done. Uh, I was I was in communicating with one of them who used to be in this class. Uh, last night we were going back and forth, back and forth, and and he he had shared with me. He said, "Did you ever see that clip I put on your little timeline?" It was a clip of a powerful acting of Jesus' woes on the Pharisees with tears in his voice. And uh, I had to paw back, back, but he said it was some time ago, so I'm pawing back through my, <laughs> my timeline trying to find it. <laughs> and it must have taken me a good ten minutes to find it. Uh, finally found it, and I listened to it, and it was powerful, just powerful if we had time today I would I would share it because it, it, I, I plan to keep it from my uh, encountering Jesus class when we come to that because they see here nothing but anger and and there is anger there but that's just overladen with with emotion and tears uh, it's at the break in his voice it keeps coming and and then he in the end he's he's weeping um, it's just uh, amazing but uh, anyway, moving on, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from evil or the evil one. Either one is justified by the Hebrew, I mean the Greek. We need that, don't we? Mm -hmm. They do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. This is not the set 28 fundamental beliefs. I'm sorry. But that's that's on paper. This is living, dynamic, experiential truth that we get from the foot of the cross. And that's the truth of John. It culminates at the cross. It's all the way through the life of Jesus. And it culminates at the cross. That's how sanctification comes to place. Paul picks up on this, I think, and says that by beholding, we are changed. Mm -hmm. Do you think Paul's, his whole discourse on Christ in you, you know, he goes, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and if, yeah. I don't care whether I live or die, I'm in Jesus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's being an intimate part of the body of Christ, not being aligned with the right denomination. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, so that they may also be sanctified in truth. How could Jesus sanctify himself? He was already holy. <laughs> I mean, the idea of sanctification in the Bible is not necessarily to make uh, sinless, but to make, um, to set apart for a certain purpose, correct? Yeah. And so... I'm, again, I'm not saying that Jesus wasn't sinless. I'm just saying that in this case, he's saying, set them apart so that they can be able to do my will and do your will. And, just and, and what, is, will. what does it mean to be set apart? Well, I think in his case, when, when those nails got driven through his flesh and he died for us, I mean, that was the ultimate sanctification for him. You know, like, I mean, he went so far that he died for us. I would like to suggest this is going beyond John now. But if you go to Matthew, I can't, I can't just talk about one gospel at a time. <laughs> I'm sorry. I need them all. <laughs> but if you go to Matthew 5, and Jesus says, Be you therefore perfect, as my Father in heaven is perfect. You put that in the context of, of love your enemies. The highest difference between us and the world is loving our enemies. And if there's anything that heals us, somebody gave me a hate look this week. <laughs> I'm really, I mean, I've never, I've had people give me hate looks before, but this one outdid one. them all. <laughs> it was just livid hate look. And normally that would have just seared my soul and crippled me for a few hours. And I just walked away and before I even got to the house, I was out on, on foot in the community. Uh, before I even got to the house, 
I said, God, just forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. And just totally no issue. No no searing. No wounding. Everything's got taken care of. And I've I've found the greatest healing agent for anybody wounding me is to forgive them as quickly as possible afterwards. Completely deals with that. Forgiveness is the most powerful psychological healing tool I know. I've ever ever seen or experienced. Well, if you go to now, you're tempting me to go to Numbers, <laughs> Numbers 14. Moses talks about it as this is your power that you forgive. This is your power. I can't take the time to go there. We got to keep moving. I ask not only on behalf of these, but on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. At the foot of the cross is where that happens the best. Because the, the the playing field is level. We're all sinful. We all we all put him there. As the song Ray Bolts wrote says, the hammer was in my hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I and, and and on top of that, being melted down by the love of God leaves no room for self, no room for I'm better than you, no room for, I don't think you have the truth. (laughs) As you, Father, are in me, and now here's the intimacy. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us. This is the true incarnation. It isn't just Jesus becoming one of us becoming one with us he's becoming one in us and and there's no longer this hierarchical model this is you can't be one in a hierarchical kind of relationship mm-hmm. this is god the father become incarnate because as jesus is one in him is in him and he is in us and we what is it he says um as you, Father, are in me and I in you, they may be in us. So we are to be in the Father and in the Son. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I'm, I'm, I'm who you are. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. So that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them. Who's them? Is it just the disciples of Jesus? I think it's any of his followers. Or is it, is it the whole world? The whole world. The world is the, world is the, anise, the nearest antecedent to them. Mm-hmm. Um... And I think we usually read this more particularly that uh, he loves the war- he loves his disciples, his followers, as the Father loves his disciples as he loves Jesus. Does that mean he doesn't love the world that way? Well, yeah, through the wonder of the Holy Spirit, I, I think there's some people in this world that that are are following Jesus that don't even know him by name. You know, I've come to understand something of the, of the love of God that it is not a one-way street. It is dynamic. And if a person rejects your love, you can't love them. And that's why in Hosea, I can love them no more. And it isn't because uh, I can't stand them any longer. It is because they won't let me love them. Right, 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 right. So I think that... That that's why it's a little bit particular here. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. How Jesus must have longed to say, these know you, but he knows they don't yet. 
They only get as far in, in John uh, 16. Now we know that he sent you. They only get that far. Mm -hmm. They don't get a, all the way to we know you. Um, I made your name, that's your character, known to them. And I will make it known so that the love which you have loved me may be in you, may be in them, and I in them. Now we have truth transferring to love because truth has so long been statically put in a box and truth is love at its core Amen. and love is that experiential word that can hardly be described it has to be experienced Love is God. So, um, this idea of like the love with God being a two-way bridge, basically, would you kind of see that as almost like the Ten Commandments and how they're separated between, for example, God and man, a way of two-way bridging between this is how God loves us because He gave us these first four, you know? You did know. you take books of Moses from me? I did. Okay, you remember the parallel? The seven seven. The seven seven. Yeah. yeah. They're interrelation. Mm -hmm. They're dynamic. Mm -hmm. They're a descriptive law, not prescriptive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This isn't I, I think it was Dr. Johnson the first time in seminary I explained that concept. God you have to have a trinity, you have to have all you can't have just one being Otherwise, we have a dictator. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, we have a community. We have a family. Right. Wow. If you haven't seen the shack, see it. I'm not saying it's theologically perfect, but it definitely gives you that sense of community and, and the deep love of the Godhead. I've read the book. Yeah, it isn't theologically perfect, but it's it's powerful. Mm -hmm. Where it, where it's good, it's extremely extremely yeah. good. Yeah. And it's it's a, it's good a lot more than it isn't. Right, right, right. Well, we're almost done with John. That's a that's a sad thing for me. Aww. Well, we can go right back and start Matthew if you want. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to move on to Acts. When we get to Revelation, we will revisit John. <laughs> and I have there's a lot to share with Revelation. We'll be sitting on Revelation. Oh, man, Revelation. <laughs> because Revelation is a story. Sorry. I know we, we love these skeletons, you know, taking out and, and parsing and, and dissecting skeletons. And we have this wonderful skeleton of Revelation. But where's the meat and where's the organs and where's the, the body, the truth? And it's a story. And we missed that. Well, I've done, I've done Revelation seminars before, and I can tell you, once I get past Revelation 3, until I get to Revelation 22 at the end, I'm a little bit lost. Well, well we're going to look at it. We're going to look at it through completely different eyes yeah, good, when good. we get to it. Yeah, it's very humbling. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Mr. Prayer Request time. And I'm always asking. I just, I'm celebrating his goodness in a... I, you know, as I'm working with my own kids or with people, I had a miracle this last night with one of my, one of my clients and family. And I, you know, you, and I always say, well, let's just trust God. So I've been trying for weeks to get him to trust God. I mean, you've got everything at stake. You've got career at stake. You've got income at stake. You've got family at stake. You've got relationships. And to see him come through in ways you don't even expect. Had a miracle with my daughter. You guys have prayed for many times this week, and that was Amen. really powerful too. So, you just uh, trust in Him, and, and He has a thousand ways to take care of us, which we know not. I've I, 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 a couple of three years ago, I came to the conclusion that I was. Well, actually, I came to the conclusion a long time ago, but I took two or three years. It was not until two or three years ago that I really understood. Um, that I had been, te I used to be so performance driven and, and just I'd walk out of every classroom feeling like a failure and, and, and I was always criticizing myself. Oh, you shouldn't have said that. You should have said this. And finally, 
I realized, you know, that's not the way you're supposed to teach <laughs> at all. And I dropped it. I, I don't know how it happened. I just, I came to the point in my life where I said, you know, God, this is about you. You use me however you want in the classroom. And I walked in there and just started teaching, and I fell in love with teaching. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and I fell in love with God because I, I sometimes I have had I have weekends where it was like the devil just beat me to a pulp, mm-hmm. and then I've come to class, and it was like I was sitting on the front row watching God teach that class. Just, yep. Yep. just, yep. 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 ow! <laughs> and um, I've come to conclude with everything I do. I, I no longer sweat it. I no longer worry about what I'm going to say or what I have to do. It's, okay, God, whatever. You'll, you'll nudge me. You'll prompt me. Mm-hmm. I wait for him to let me know. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a walk with God that just takes out all the worry and stress. Mm-hmm. Sorry. God, we thank you for being with us all the time, and then for those moments when we actually see you at work. We thank you for what you've done for this uh, client and the fa- this family. We thank you for what you've done for Doug's daughter. We thank you for what you do for each of us, and we pray that you will open our eyes to what you do, that we will see your unfathomable love and grace at work in our lives. Walk with us through whatever is ahead. May we truly be in you as you are in the Father. May we be in both of you that we may be one. And may self die a natural death because you have made us alive in you. In Jesus' name, amen.